and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello guys, and welcome to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond. I am your host, Mark Kaler. Today we've got Beauregard Howard with us. His father was on actually last week. Uh, Jim. Yep. Um, Beauregard goes by Bo, though. That's correct. So how's it going, Bo? It's going great. Glad to be here. Pretty yeah, g- good to have you. It's kind of exciting to get a father and son back to back. It is. It is. It doesn't <laughs> happen often. We had, um, uh, let's see, Bart Eaton came in with his son at one point, Jeff, yeah. uh, but Jeff didn't talk too much. Uh, so not a lot of father-son duos, even though our industry is a legacy industry. It is, yeah, and, I would say. And generally passed on. But let's jump into your part of the legacy. Where were you born, and, and what was your introduction? <clears throat> so I was born in Newport, Oregon, 1986. That makes me 32, I guess. I turned 33 this year. Uh, family owns a boat. Um, I'm the fourth-generation fisherman in our family. Uh, my great-grandpa Joe started... Uh, way back in the early 40s, right before the war broke out. Um, I always think his story is really cool. Him and my great-grandma, they're they're both from farm towns in Minnesota, and her family was a little more higher class than his family was. They started seeing each other, and her family didn't like it, so they kind of shipped her out to California to get away from him. So he, together, they humped a train and made it out to California, and kind of started a life and family out there. It was, uh, it was in the early 40s. He was uh, working with a buddy at a boatyard and uh, um, started building boats and got involved in fishing. They were fishing for albacore and mackerel back then, and they started having kids. He got his own boat and uh, started having his kids as deck, and they had seven kids. They had four boys and three girls, and when they were all younger, they all uh, were deckhands on the boat. As they started getting older, um, three of the boys ended up having their own boats um, in Southern California, Orange County, uh, Newport Beach. And uh, my grandpa had moved up to Newport and uh, brought his family up there, found a good market, different fisheries up there. He got two of his brothers to move up and uh, started fishing there. My grandpa bought his own boat, uh, the boat that I'm on now that we still have. I'm the third generation to be on this boat. And, uh, and that is the... That, that's the Collier Brothers. And uh, they bought that in... In uh, Alabama in 1979, they flew back there, and or Louisiana, where it was one of those states back there. Shrimper. Yeah, old Gulf Shrimper. Grandpa bought it, flew back there, took his whole family out there. They were all real young, you know, brought it around through the Panama Canal and, and brought it up. And at the time, it was the, I believe it was the largest shrimper on the West Coast out of Newport. And uh, What's her size? Right now, she's uh, 95 foot. So they, they lengthened her quite a while ago, but it was, it was pretty big back then. Um, so Grandpa bought it, and uh, he had his two kids, his two oldest. His, uh, he had a daughter, Janet, a son, Mike. They were, I don't know, they were 15 and 17 or 16 and 19. I can't remember the ages, but they were, they were young, still in high school. And it was just the two of them, and they were the only deckhands on the biggest shrimp boat on the West Coast. And they didn't have hydraulics. Everything was mechanically run, and... and uh, it was a good way for him to make money because he didn't have to pay full share to the crew. I don't even know if they got paid for doing it, but <clears throat> they worked quite a bit. And uh, yeah, they got older. He ended up getting more deckhands and stuff. And then I think it was in the 
when was it? It would have been 87, I think, is when they, my grandpa had a buddy who lived in Kodiak, and he was fishing up there, and talked grandpa into taking the boat up there, and started fishing up there, and the boat's pretty much fished out of Kodiak ever since. We got a little bit of Bering Sea fish we do, and a little bit down in Oregon that we do, but we're mostly around Kodiak uh, most of the year, and I started going when I was a little kid. That was all I ever wanted to do was fish. My dad was a fisherman, my uncle and my grandpa, my mom's side, you know, lots of uncles and cousins, and grandpa and you know great grandpa way back i really get into the family history side of things and so uh that's all i ever wanted to do my whole life never wanted to be a doctor a lawyer president i just i just wanted to fish like everyone else in my family and so i got to go out on the boat a few times when i was younger and had fun got sick you know tried to enjoy it and after uh after high school just started doing it full time basically what's your earliest memory of going out can you recall that <clears throat> Yeah, I have pictures of me on the boat when I was, I don't remember them, but first time I remember going out, I must have been six or seven maybe right in there, and uh, we were fishing out of Newport, Grandpa was running the boat, my uncle was on the boat, and they had their other deck hands, they asked me if I wanted to go, I was so excited, <laughs> and uh, we got to go out, and I got so sick, I never went outside, I just stayed inside, thrown up, wouldn't eat anything, couldn't drink anything, and uh, I remember one of the crew members came inside, and he's like, hey, are you doing okay? And I said, nope. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, do you think you're going to live? And I looked at him and answered as honestly as I could. And I, I said, I, I don't know. I really didn't know if I was going to live or die. <laughs> and at that point, I didn't really care. I felt so bad. I'd be okay if that was the end. And I remember at one point, I went upstairs into the wheelhouse. Grandpa was driving. It was nighttime. And I could see these city lights. And I go, is that Newport? He goes, yeah. And I said, oh, are we going in? And he goes, nope. And I go, can you please take me in? And he goes, nope. And I go, Grandpa, I think I'm going to die out here. And I can't remember exactly what he said, but my memory of it as a kid was, he said something like, well, if you do, we'll just bury you in the ice and we'll take you off when we get to town. You'll be all right. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> Grandpa doesn't care if I die. This is right? awesome. And uh, I, I don't think I ever went outside once that whole trip. And then we came in and uh, I didn't get back on the boat for a while after that. A few years later, I was probably around 10 or 12 years old maybe and uh 12 13 i can't remember but uh my uncle was running the boat in kodiak and he said hey do you want to come up and work with me for this summer and, oh man i was so excited oh wait is this jim's brother or your grandfather this is my grandfather's son my, my mom's brother okay so uh so he goes hey do you want to come spend the summer on the boat with me in kodiak and i said yeah absolutely totally forgetting that i ever got seasick so i go flying up there i was pretty nervous but real How excited 12 13, 11, so, somewhere in there. I can't can't quite remember. Um, we went out. It was my first time in Alaska. It was summertime. It was beautiful weather. It's sunny all the time. And and uh, we go out, and uh, I got real sick. And I was like, oh, this is why I kind of stopped doing this for a little bit. And I was throwing up a bunch and just was – I went outside and worked a little bit, but I was slow, and I didn't really like it and didn't have a lot of fun. And I was it was my job to sort all the codfish out. I'd basket it all. I'd bleed it. I'd put it in baskets, count the baskets, dump it down in the fish hole. And, and uh, I was slow. And the other guys would do their job, and they'd go inside. They wouldn't help me with mine. They'd just leave me outside to do mine. And I was so slow. My uncle comes out, and he goes, what's your deal? And I said, well, I'm just not feeling good. I don't want to do this. He's like, hurry up. Get this stuff down. And he's, pretty, he's really good at motivating you, having little halftime speeches, you know. And... Uh, <clears throat> So he comes out, and he could see that I'm not feeling good, and I said, I just want to go to bed, and he goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, you can't go to bed until all this stuff is done. He said, but I'll race you. He said, we'll both fill a basket, and if I fill a basket first, 
then I'll go inside and you stay out and bleed the rest of the fish. But if you win, if you beat me, then you can go inside and go to bed and I'll stay out here and I'll finish sorting all the rest of the fish. And I go, all right, I was real excited about that. So it was one, two, three, go. And we raced and we, I filled the basket first and I wanted him down. I go, ha ha, I beat you. I get to go inside and he goes, now you know how to fill a basket the right way, get to it, finish up. And I was like, oh, F you, man. I was pretty pissed off. So he goes, you know how to work. You can do it. Just get over it. So I did that. Well, I just, I was not feeling it. So we come into town after the first trip and him and I are at the grocery store doing some grocery shopping. And uh, he goes, well, I just got the weather report for the next trip. I said, what is it? And he goes, well, it's going to be about 16 foot. And that first trip was three, four foot. It was choppy, but it wasn't bad. I was so sick. And I go, oh no, 18 foot. This is, I started getting seasick right there in the freezer He's section. Of Safeway. He, he, he tells me now, he said he could see my face turn white, turn to green. I went outside. I was, I was not happy. So so we get, we get back down to the boat. I know I'm going to throw up. I'm not looking forward to it. Well, I'm not hungry, but I know I need to eat something. Because the first trip, I was dry heaving and throwing up bile, and it wasn't very fun. So I know I need to eat something. But I didn't want to throw up something sharp and hard like potato chips. I wanted it to be soft and gentle. So we had these little snack packs of Jello. I don't know they were watermelon flavored. I think they were Jolly Rancher in there. They were kind of sour, and they kind of made me sick eating them a little bit just because I wasn't feeling good. But I ate two of those. Leave to go fish it. It is nasty out. I'm not having fun. Our first tow, we haul back. You know, we're dumping, we're sorting the fish, and we're just about done. And I sit down on the trawl fence, and I just start throwing up. And it was the bestest, sweetest tasting Jello I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. And I licked my lips, and I was like, "This is this is awesome." Yeah. Instantly, I was never sick. Like, never been seasick since. That was it. Well, there's one other time, but that was for a different reason. We, I never eat fish like I get a little or I never eat food I get a little not nervous but just anxious before any season opens like opening day I'm a little bit just pre-season jitters you know are we gonna find the fish you know what's the weather gonna be like is the gear gonna work you know just all excited and so I just I'm a little too anxious to eat so like right before season opens I don't eat and uh it was January I was probably 23 at this time maybe and uh it was opening day of cod season January in the Gulf of Alaska and it was nasty weather so I didn't eat anything, and the captain comes down that evening, and he says, he goes, ah, oh, we're not going to go. We're kind of on strike, and the weather's too bad. And so it's like, all right, I was hungry because I didn't eat all day. I went downstairs, and we had this giant package of recently expired cheese-filled Little Smokies. <laughs> and I was hungry, and I ate the whole freaking thing. Right as I was finishing up that plate, he comes downstairs, and he goes, fire up, cutting lines, we're leaving. Joe left town, this guy left town, we got to go, we got to go. And I was like, oh, no. So we left town, and... I went to bed and the anchor came loose. It was nasty weather and I just had a belly full of expired processed meat. I was not feeling too good. And the anchor came loose. We had to run upstairs. And Sounds like a Saturday night to me. Bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we go upstairs. We secure the anchor. I go run downstairs and throw up little, throwing up little smokies is not as good as throwing up watermelon jello. That was the only other time. So anyways, back to when I was a small child. Uh, threw up, felt better, you know, worked, worked the rest of the trip, worked the rest of the summer and it was freaking. I was like, "All right, this is this this is what I'm doing." I always knew this is what I want to do, but now that I'm not sick anymore and I could actually do the work, this is this is what I want to do. So, did your process speed up? I think it did. Yeah. Now that once I got a little bit better, and once I started learning how to do it, and you know, started having kind of fun with the guys a little bit, and you know, especially on the nice weather days, it was definitely a lot more. How did fun. they treat you being 12, 13 years old on a boat? Well, some of the guys were they'd be pretty hard on me. Maybe not too hard because I was like the owner's kid, but I was still a kid and the greenhorn and didn't know stuff. And they were kind of the older school, like treat the greenhorn like shit kind of way. And 
you know, they, they were pretty nice. You know, one of the guys was definitely a lot nicer. He's a bit older and kind of took me under his wing and kind of showed me, you know, we'd have to, we'd have to bleed the cod and I didn't know how to bleed cod. Like I would just kind of watch them stabbing them. So I was just stabbing them anywhere, like right in the meat and like right in the stuff. And they're like, stop, what are you doing? And I was like, well, you told me to stab them. Like if you stab me anywhere, I'll bleed. Like I figured they would bleed too. And they're like, no, no, no. I'm like the one guy kind of screaming, you know, cause it's money, you know, you're costing the boat and everybody else money so this guy comes over and he's you know here's how it works and walk me through it and i think my uncle was kind of fun he was kind of excited i was you know nephew on the boat and kind of walk us through bleeding the cod so fish have their gills right behind their head and uh, there's a little spot in there where if you stab it with a knife they will bleed out and so <clears throat> if they bleed out they don't get soggy it just kind of creates a little bit more quality product because they're bled out it's less liquid in there as they go into our fish holds and they'll be in there for a day or two or three sometimes your fishing trips are a little bit long sometimes they're shorter but it just makes for a little bit better product you get a little bit higher price at the fish plant so um anyway so that's the process there so some of the guys kind of take me under their wings and kind of show me some of the tricks of the trade and it was uh it was a pretty fun summer um did you go back every year after that or how did that work not every year there was i kind of wanted to go back but you know, i played a lot of sports in high school and and, you know, I'd, I'd, hey, Mom, can I go back up with Uncle Mike? And she'd be like, well, I don't know. You have your whole life to work and fish, you know, be a kid and play in the summer and stuff. And I just kind of wanted to, like, drop out of school and just go fishing. I figured that I don't need a high school diploma to be a fisherman. And I'm just kind of wasting time and missing out on money by not fishing and being in school, getting education that I'm not going to use. Um, but I was forced to stay in school and graduate, which I'm glad now I did. How much money did you make when you were up there that summer? I think zero. About zero? Well, I learned how to play cribbage that summer, but I didn't learn the real way to play. I learned how they cheat me out of everything, so I'm pretty sure my entire summer paycheck went to paying off all the guys I played cribbage to mm -hmm. after plane ticket and food and rain gear and losing at cribbage. I don't think I had one cent left. <laughs> but When did you start going back then? So after high school, um, my dad, Jim, fishing on the dominator and uh he told me a handful of times that you know before that summer was coming up he goes he goes he goes i can't promise anything but he goes you know we're probably gonna need a fill-in guy this summer and uh, is that something you'd want to do and i was like yes yes and he's like okay don't get your hopes up but you know i'm gonna see if i can make it work on the dominator on the dominator for trident so we uh finally got to go and uh man i was i was nervous but i was so excited all i've ever wanted to do my whole life is not only fish, but, you know, fish with my dad. You know, when you're a kid, your dad's your hero. You just want to be just like him, do everything he does. So to get to go do what he does alongside with him on his boat, you know, for the first time, I was so excited. Dominator's not a bad boat for it to be your first time out Pollock fishing. So how how did that, you just out of high school, going out on the Dominator? Yeah, it was, for my first time midwater fishing, there is not a better boat to go on. It's a, it's a big boat. It's a comfortable boat. It's a safe boat. It's well set up. Craig Jensen, best captain to work for, all the crew, you know the crew, Dick, Jim, Jamie, you know, those guys, they're, they're really fun. Um, so me and, me and Jim, we flew up from Seattle, uh, got in Dutch, met the boat, went out, and uh, I was so excited. I was really nervous because, you know, I'd done a bit of fishing before, but it was all bottom net fishing. Midwater fishing for Pollock, it's just same kind of process, just different gear, but it's something I'd never done before. And even though it's the same process, it's a it's a bigger boat, it's bigger gear, it's the Bering Sea, you know, it's the big scary Bering Sea. And, you know, I was, I was 19, so I'm not a kid, but 
I'd never been before and I was nervous and and it was my first time as an actual crew member not the not the owner's kid not the extra daily wage guy who didn't get paid I was an actual crew member like I had to be able to do the job it didn't matter if I got sick or not I had to produce I had to operate so I was really nervous and I remember going out we, we, we'd set the gear came inside it was time to haul back and I'm getting all geared up and it wasn't shitty weather but it wasn't a nice day and uh, I think Dick could tell I was pretty nervous and I talked to my dad a bit and he was he, he was real good he's like you know keep your head on a swivel and just you know pay attention be observant you know don't get in the bite you know all this stuff it was it was really it was really if someone yells at you you know don't don't question don't ask about it just do whatever they say immediately you know pay attention whatever and uh, and Dick Dick looked I think he could tell I was a little bit nervous he, is you nervous I said, yeah a little bit and yeah, I can't remember what he said but He's a funny guy, you know, a little jokester, pretty lighthearted, and he said something that just instantly everything, I just felt better, and I was like, okay, like, we could have fun doing this, and, uh, man, I learned so much that summer, and it was so fun. I think I was there for two and a half or three months, and uh, getting to fish with my dad was was one of my top two absolute favorite memories ever. The one thing I never really expected, you know, I expected to learn a lot working with him, and I expected to have a lot of fun. And some hardships, you know, working with family is, can be difficult. And sometimes we clash, we butted heads and yelled at each other, but overall it was a lot of fun. But the one thing I never really thought about, <laughs> I get on the boat and uh, Craig goes, he goes, hey, do you cook? I said, no. At this point, I'm 19 years old. The only thing I'd ever made is macaroni and cheese and cereal and toast. And I don't even think I knew how to make top ramen at the time, which is obviously a very difficult meal to create. <laughs> I couldn't even do that. And he goes, well, you better learn. I had to cook for six guys, two meals a day, breakfast and dinner, two meals a day, seven days a week for three months. I didn't know how to cook shit. And Craig is not easy to cook for. They like, they're, they're classy guys. They like the finer things in life. I don't really care. <laughs> I like to make white trash trailer park food, and you're, that's good enough for me. You're fine with watermelon jello. Watermelon jello, <laughs> yeah. So I go, Shit. <laughs> And my dad goes, don't worry, I'll help you out. And so we actually spent a lot of time in the galley. He taught me how to cook. He's a great cook. And he was a great teacher. And that's just one of my biggest takeaways of working with him that summer was being in the galley, you know, learning how to cook stuff, learning how to read a cookbook, learning how to do this stuff. And the one thing he told me that's always stuck with me that I tell people to this day, I've cooked for a lot of very, uh, very picky people who are, oh, don't make it with this, or oh, can you please add this, or oh, I'm gluten intolerant, I can't have this, or I can't right, have whatever, right. and it gets kind of frustrating. Well, the one thing he taught me that I've stuck to to this day is, he goes, do you like it? Put it in. If they don't like it, screw them. They could pick it out, they know where the galley is, they could make their own stuff, whatever, and so that was just my one thing. If you like it, put it in. If they don't like it, screw them. Yeah. But uh, it's just, it just the one aspect of the job I never thought I'd have to do or thought about beforehand going up there and it was or learn even or even learn it was just i mean people got to eat but it's just we didn't go to the bering sea for the first time to work on a giant pollock boat i didn't think what am i gonna make for dinner and uh so that's pretty and then dick helped out a lot he taught me some stuff and there was days where i was like hey man can, can you take over and he would take over and it was it was pretty so it was a lot of fun i was i spent my 20th birthday on the boat um which was great you know my dad was there the day i was born which i don't remember and, uh, you know, my birthday's in October, so that's Pollock season, you know, king crabs coming up. So it was gone a lot. And so, but, but to be able to spend my 20th birthday, it was a big birthday, you know, with my dad on the boat, you know, working and stuff. And we had a big dinner and cake and it was, 
Yeah, it was it was pretty special. It was. Like Did you I have said, to cook the dinner and the cake? No, but I think I might have had to ask somebody else to cook for me. <laughs> Actually, I didn't know it was my birthday coming up because I mean I knew it was coming up, but when you're working on a boat, every day is Wednesday, right? You it always is. work yesterday. It you really always is. work tomorrow. You never know what day of the week it is. It doesn't matter. You know, your Friday is in three months. You don't care what today is. You know, the calendar when you're working is when are you, when are you projected to be done. Mm-hmm. So you're looking, oh, 25 more days left, or mm-hmm. exactly 20 days left, 15 days left. That's what you're looking at. You're right. not looking at every, all the days in between. Yeah. So there's been, there's been a few times, you know, throughout the years where I, you know I look down and I go, oh, shoot. Today's the 10th? Oh, man, my birthday is two days ago. I didn't, didn't even realize it. And you don't have internet, you know, especially back then. I mean, I'm like Facebook and stuff, so you didn't have people writing on your Facebook. You didn't have a cell phone. People weren't calling you, and you just don't. That's part of why I kind of forget how old I am sometimes. It's not like, happy 26th birthday, happy 27th birthday, happy 28th birthday. It's like, all of a sudden, you're home for your birthday for the first time in eight years, and people are like, oh, happy birthday. How old are you? And it's like, well, hold on a second. You try and do math. You don't even know what year it is. Try and whatever, but. It was it was pretty great. It was it was a lot of fun spending a birthday, you know, with my dad, being on the boat, you know, the whole crew really. I mean, it was one of the best boats that's I've ever a, worked on. The best crew. crew. Yeah. It was great. It was a lot of fun. So. So where'd you go after the Dominator? <clears throat> so while I was on the Dominator, uh, my uncle was taking our boat, the Collier Brothers, my family's boat, to a shipyard. It was you know an old Gulf boat, and it's pretty old by this point. And they were the the roof was leaking. It was rusting. It was just an old boat. Time to time to kind of redo it. So. While I was fishing with my dad, they were in the yard in Toledo, Oregon. They cut the house off, cut the bow for putting a new house, new bow on. And it was a pretty long, expensive, hard, stressful project. So I got off the Dominator, you know, the first week of November. Went straight down there, hopped on there, and started just helping out. I didn't even think they had a spot for me on the boat, but I just loved being on the boat. You know, and then now that, you know, my family has has a boat, you know, I, I, just, I just wanted to go help, do whatever I could. And... I know my uncle's a little stressed out about getting out of the yard. So I went down there, helped out what I could, and uh, I ended up going up with them, uh, not even as a crew member, just as the extra daily wage guy, just because I wanted to keep keep going and keep doing it. So we took the boat up to Kodiak, and within the first month, you know, one guy, we, we all rotate on that boat. Everyone rotates taking time off. So the first guy took his time off. He was at home. The day that he was supposed to be back on the boat, he called and said, oh, I got another job. I'm not coming back. And so I was, like, raising my hand, like, right here <laughs> i nominate myself here. How, how do you feel can can we can we do this and so i i stayed there for a few more months and worked into that and and uh, i got i got up there a few times you know a young kid 20 21 22 23 no real education fat stack of cash in my pocket you tend to do a lot of stupid shit make some dumb decisions and and just have big plans you know i got all this money i can go do this stuff with my friends and go do this and so i got off of there and uh you know partied a lot you know had a bunch of toys and it was there. There was a lot of years where I was just a fill-in guy on different boats. Guys would call me, you know, hey, we need a guy for, you know, a few trips or you know, till the end of the month or you know, for the rest of the season, you know, whatever it was. And if I didn't want to work, I'd be like, oh, you know, I can't do it right now. Or if I did, I'd be like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, running out of money. And that was actually a lot of fun being the fill-in guy, just kind of getting to work when I wanted to, didn't have to, and I didn't want to. I had plenty of time off. What were some of the boats you were on? Oh boy, I've been on a lot. I fished on the Dominator, fished on the Gladiator, you know, the Arcturus, fished on our boat, uh, you know, the Bay Islander. I, I did a month on there. Um, you know, I got some uh, friends that have boats out of Newport. I filled in on there doing bottom trips or Hake trips or, um, you know, just just kind of filling in and doing whatever. And it was it was I had a lot of time off, 
you know, I still was making plenty of money. I was able to, you know, load up the dirt bikes and go to the dunes or go out to the woods and ride dirt bikes for, you know, a couple of weeks. Or, hey, let's let's get a house on the mountain and go snowboarding for a bit. And, you know, so being all the buddies. And they're all young and they're all having fun. But, you know, it kind of took me a little while to realize that I'm funding this whole right. adventure because they're young. They're in college or didn't go to college. And they have their whatever jobs. They're not making money. They can't afford to rent a house on Mount Hood and go, you know, snowboarding for 10 straight days. So I kind of foot the bill for a lot of stuff it was a lot of fun i don't regret any of it but then i started getting older and i started kind of slowing down and i was like man it really sucked to go snowboarding break a leg and not go fishing this january or you know go ride a dirt bike and break my arm and oh there goes my whole hake season you know so i kind of started scaling back on the toys and fun and just kind of realizing you know it was, it was fun being the fill-in guy but I kind of like to be a little more secure have something a little more stable and consistent income you know fairly consistent fishing's not consistent but you know so, uh, so it was, it was really fun doing that for a while, but got back, back on the family boat a handful of times, either filling in or, you know, doing whatever. And I've been back on there now for a while and we have, we have two captains on our boat. Uh, my uncle, Mike, and, and another guy, uh, Mike Caligzo, he's been on there for 10, 12 years now. So they kind of rotate, uh, taking time on and off running the boat. My uncle's getting older and he kind of wants to start retiring and I'm, kind of tired of working on deck and want to start stepping it up and having a little more responsibility and you know making a little more money and so i started i didn't ask i just started telling him hey you're you're done you're on your way out i'm taking your spot now and so i've kind of been working my way up into that and uh got to start running the boat a few trips uh last year i think two years ago we were hake fishing out of astoria in oregon and and we were done for the year and we had to head back up to kodiak and uh, i said i'm i'm going this is stay home you got stuff to do i'm gonna take the boat up and so that was the first time i ever uh ever drove the boat without adult supervision you know i've been driving it around town and going you know navigating up and down the channel and stuff and tying the boat up and going over the field dock and over the fish plant and stuff but i never like left town so it was my first time without a uh, adult supervision how did your uncle take that <laughs> i mean obviously he's probably <laughs> proud but i think he was proud i think he was kind of excited and he's he's kind of to the point where I think he's just a little burnt out and a little tired. And, you know, the, the least amount of time you can spend on the boat, I think is happier. But he, he asked me every day, two, three, four times a day for like two or three weeks. He goes, Hey, uh, he's he you sure you want to do this? Are, are you actually going to do this? Do you think you can? Like, do you think, are you going to, I was like, yes, 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 yes. And I got kind of sick and tired of him asking me this. So the day we were, I was going to leave, uh, my mom came up to Astoria. I live in Seaside, about 20 minutes from Astoria, and I, I dropped my truck off at my house. My mom came up to kind of wave goodbye. She met me at my house, picked me up, and was driving me up to the boat. And I said, I told her, I said, I'm, I'm going to tell Mike that I'm not, I'm not going to take the boat up. And she goes, Oh, why are you nervous? And I said, Oh no, I'm like, I'm ready for this. I'm excited. I'm, like, I'm stoked. I can't wait to do this. But he's been asking me every day, three, four, five times a day for two or three weeks. Are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? I said, So just kind of fuck with him a little bit. I just can tell him no, like right at the last minute. And so she's like, all right, it's a good idea. So we go to dinner, me, my uncle, the crew, you know, everyone. And uh, <clears throat> so we're sitting at dinner and I was, I was pretty quiet. I don't know why, not for any reason, but I was just, for whatever reason, I was sitting there with my hands over my mouth at dinner. And I was smiling underneath my hands. I didn't want him to see it. And my mom goes, you're, you've been pretty quiet. Are you okay? And I said, yeah. She goes, are you getting kind of nervous? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting kind of nervous. You know, it's like the weight of everything. Like, this is a big responsibility, which it was a big responsibility. Sure. I, did, I did feel that. It's a multi-million dollar operation that I don't own that's in my hands, along with the lives of people. Like, it's a it's a, it's a a big responsibility. So I did feel that weight, but 
I kind of exaggerated that quite a bit to the point where I was like, oh, I don't think I can do this. And, uh, oh, he got almost a sick look on his face and he kind of pushed his food away and he like wouldn't eat. And he was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, well, I was like, mom, my mom, she goes, she goes, Mike, you're, are you going to go with him? And he's like, I can't, I made plans. I have this stuff to do. And she's like, you're really going to make him do this? And he was like, well, I did it when I was his age and I don't understand what the big deal is. And I was like, see mom, I told you he's not going to want to do it. And and so I got all quiet and stuff. And finally, just both, she's like, should we tell him? Should we tell him? And I just busted up laughing. I couldn't hold it in. And he's like, what? Is, is this a joke? Is this a joke? And I was like, yeah, 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 it's a joke. He goes, I don't think this is a joke. I think you're being serious. And I was like, no, no, I've been playing in this for like a while. I'm just so sick of you asking me all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And so I don't think you are. And I ended up going and, uh, or he, whatever, believe me. And uh, so we, we left that night. It was, it was just me and one other guy. And, uh, oh, I was so excited. And we left that evening. We took off from town. Out of Newport? Uh, this was out of Astoria, okay. where we were fishing. So we, you know, going out the Columbia. As I was going out the Columbia River, into the sunset, my first time without adult supervision, I was, I was feeling a lot of things. I wasn't really nervous, but you know, I was, I was anxious. I was excited, and and I was just like, all these feelings were coming. And I was like, all I could think about was like, this is so cool. Like, I'm the, f- technically, I guess I'm the captain. It's just you know, driving from point A to point B. But I was like, this is. You know, I'm the fourth generation to do this. I'm the third generation on this boat. And I was, I've, my great grandpa Joe, who started, I never met him. He died before I was born. But all I could think about was like, what would he think about this? Like all that his family's done. He's had multiple kids and grandkids and, you know, great grandkids now that have been doing this. You know, what would he think about how his, you know, decision to go out and try and catch some albacore, you know, how it turned into, you know, multiple family members owning multiple boats and doing this and, you know, what would he think about what the how the boats are now and the fish that we catch and how the technologies have changed with the electronics and the gear and just, you know, how, how things have changed and progressed. And, you know, and then I was like, well, what was it like for him? You know, the first time he decided to go out or, you know, like my dad, the first time that he was the first one to nope. go out or my uncle no or computers. my grandpa, you know, <laughs> back then it was way different. Yeah. It's, it's so much easier now. We've actually talked quite a bit about this. Um, you know, I kind of feel real spoiled because I've come into an already set up, already established thing that's you know they've built it up i'm just jumping in those guys my uncle had to figure out a lot of stuff with all these new fisheries that they jumped into my grandpa didn't have electronics back in the day my great grandpa really didn't you know so i i really have it easy where everything is pretty self-explanatory but your first time is still your first time you know and, and just kind of thinking about you know how they felt on it when, what you're, it was like when you're on them. the deck it doesn't matter what electronics are upstairs no still, no yeah so it was it was and then and just feeling the weight of everything it was i mean it was it was pretty exciting so so we left you know a seven-day trip up there and and uh we got to town this is probably it was just the two of you to kodiak yep just me and one other guy and uh so you know i drove i drove from like four o'clock in the morning until midnight or one o'clock in the morning i go downstairs and sleep and I learned then, you know, how much distrust I have in deckhands. <laughs> and we were out, so we wanted to catch some, some albacore on the way up. And I talked to the tuna guys, and they said, yeah, if you go out, you know, they're about 250 miles out. So we left Astoria, went straight west, 250 miles, about a day or a little over a day to get out there. Turned and just headed straight for Kodiak. Throughout the tuna jigs, it was piss flat, sunny, you know, got a bunch of tuna jigs out. And so there's nothing that anybody could hit out there, you know. It would take you over a day to get land, you know. But I just, you know, if something went wrong with an engine or if he fell asleep or if a big container ship came by just i had a serious distrust this is where i learned it in in crew members even the good ones because it's just ultimately it's my responsibility if anything happens i get blamed for it i'm the one who's got to be accountable for it i have to explain everything 
And on top of that, I was just so excited to finally be doing it that I, I, I would go to bed at midnight or one o'clock. I'd wake up at three or four and just be it's like, all in your mind. ready to go. You know, so I go. go make him sleep. And, you know, it actually kind of pissed me off. He, the, the crew member, he told me, he goes, after the first night, we have a little day bunk upstairs where a guy could kind of lay in. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I tried sleeping in this bunk over here. And, you know, I couldn't really sleep in that. So I tried sleeping up on the dash and I laid down on the floor for a while. And we're in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing going on. But I was like, why the hell are you trying to sleep? On watch. I ask you to watch for three or four hours a night. You sleep 20, 21 hours a day. I ask you to be awake for three hours, and you can't stay awake for three hours. And uh, it kind of pissed me off. So I turned the watch alarm down to one minute, and I took the key out and went to bed with it. So every one minute, he had to sit there and, and hit the button. Oh, wow, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. And it kind of pissed him off, but it's like, dude, come on. You can't be sleeping on that one How time. can he turn it to one minute? Does it start beeping like right away? Well, after one minute, it will start a light beep to wake up the guy that's there and then that will beep for one minute and then the general alarm goes off which is a loud siren throughout the whole boat how many times do you wake you up with that one that honestly not that much there's a handful of times where i, I never heard the general alarm go off but i did hear the the, the smaller the alarm go off a few yeah. times so uh anyways yeah i did that for a night or two and then after that i put it back on you know 20 minutes or something a little more reasonable and i think he was happy after that i never had a, had a problem again but uh we get to kodiak you know seven and a half days later and it was a beautiful day got there in the afternoon and we tied the boat up at the dock and uh i said hey you know why don't you run downstairs and you know check the oil and the main engine and the reduction gear and we'll set everything down and we'll go get lunch we'll have a few beers you know it's been a few days and he goes all right he comes upstairs one or two minutes later and he goes hey man you gotta come downstairs and check this out and he was all excited and i was like what could be down in the engine room that's so cool that i don't already know is there is there like a box of cookies or a jc penny catalog from 1998 or a playboy like what did he find so i go downstairs and underneath the main engine there's a geyser of water coming up from the floor and i oh shit and I, there's nothing under there but the bed of the boat and the ocean floor and he thought that like a hose broke that was leaking water or something well i knew there's nothing there and i go fuck and uh so i could just get the shock of adrenaline through me and i you know i turned a couple pumps on and it, it sucked the water right down and it stayed there and uh you know, there's a little hole. I went upstairs and, you know, I called the harbor master and I said, hey, I, I got to get hauled out. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, come on over. And from the time I saw it to the time we got hauled out was maybe 45 minutes. And uh, I had I had one pump on that was plenty enough. I had two other backup pumps. So and it was staying down and it was fine. I knew everything was fine. But in my head, I was like, OK, we're good. You know, it's under control. I got backups in case this one fails for whatever reason. I'm getting hauled out here in a few minutes. I like, will be out of the water. No problem. So mentally, I was fine. But I just had such a shock of adrenaline go through me, seeing water come geysering in where it's not supposed to be, that my heart was pounding and my hands were shaking for like hours after the fact. And so we're going over, we're getting hauled out. I tried calling my uncle multiple times and he wouldn't answer the phone. So I finally called my mom and I go, I already talked to her earlier that day, right when we got to town. She goes, hey, called her again. She goes, how's it being back? It's good to be back in Kodiak. And What's going on? And I said, well, I said, there's a hole in the bottom of the boat and we're, we're getting hauled out right now. She goes, no, there's not. And I go, yeah, there is. You know, somehow we got a hole down there and we're getting hauled out to get a fix. She goes, you're lying. I said, I'm really not lying. She's, I know you're a prankster. You always pull pranks. This isn't funny. You need to stop telling me this lie and tell me what the hell is going on right now. And I said, it's not a big deal. We're getting hauled out. It's fine. But there is a hole in the boat and I'm getting hauled out to get fixed. She goes, what did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. She goes, you must have done something. 
And I said, I literally did nothing. I said, it's an old boat, electrolysis, you know, things rot, things get thin, holes get sprung. I didn't do anything. She goes, what are the chances that this would happen? The one time that this is on your watch, what are the chances that this would happen? And I said, well, with my luck, pretty good. Because it's happening right now. I was like, I will send you pictures. I will send you videos. Like, the boat's in the air right now. I'm standing on the beach watching it get lifted up. She goes, you better because I don't believe you. This is bull crap. I was like, well, whatever. Hung up with her. And then my uncle calls me. And he goes, heard you sank the boat. And I go, what the hell? No. First off, no. Second off, who did you hear this from? He goes, oh, I was walking down the bayfront. And Steve comes out and goes, I heard Bo sank the boat. And next block, you know, Jerry comes out. And he goes, what did Bo do to the boat? I heard it sinking. And all these guys have come. I was like, that's bullshit. How'd you hear this? He's like, oh, you know, I know everything. I talked to this guy, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we got it all figured out. It was fine. And, you know, it really wasn't that big of a deal. But just that, seeing that initial. The timing is bad, though. The timing. Oh, it was my very first time, you know, and I was like, great, I'm going to get in trouble. But it wasn't my fault. It's not like I did anything, but it just so happened to happen on my watch. And so I wasn't scared, but just that shock and that stress. I mean, it couldn't have happened at any better time. You know, it was a beautiful day outside. It was daylight. You know, the lift was open. I could just move over and get looked at. It was already in town. If that had happened, because we were, like I said, 250 miles offshore, and if that happened, you know, three days from land or whatever, you know, that's like, well, then what do you do, you know? So it happened once right as we got to town. It really was pretty ideal, but it was kind of cool to see, you know, sometimes when, and it really wasn't even that big of a hole. Once we got hauled out and I looked at it, I couldn't even hardly fit my pinky in it but it's 12 feet underwater and you got pressure shooting up but i didn't know that at the time i just saw water geysering up so you know sometimes you know in a stressful situation you see a guy will kind of freeze or panic or not know what to do and it was really cool for me to see that because i didn't know the extent of it in that moment didn't think just reacted you know got this pump going you know turned this stuff on you know started making phone calls got everything clear and it was like i didn't even really think about it it just kind of was natural reaction so it it kind of gave me a little confidence it was being like oh in stressful unseen circumstances this is how i react that's that's pretty neat mm. so that made me feel pretty good did you catch any tuna on the way up no i got told i wasn't allowed it my family's pretty known for tuna you know like i said my great grandpa did it my grandpa you know my uncles everyone's done it for generations kind of revolutionized the tuna industry to this day you talk to tuna guys down in you know california they they know the shones family name and so guys were calling me every day on the radio and they're like, hey, how many Charlie did you get today? And I said, oh, I haven't caught any. They're like, you're not allowed to show up to town without Charlie. If you turn around, go back and get some, you know, you're not allowed at Christmas. If you don't bring it, don't let your family down. And I was like, well, sorry. We got into some pretty bad weather for a while up there, so it wasn't really tending the tuna lines too much. So that was a yet. scary moment. But let's talk about your scariest moment. Mm. My scariest moment probably would have been it's probably right about this time last year. I wouldn't say I was scared, but this is probably the most stressed out or on edge I was. I was leaving Kodiak to bring the boat to Oregon to do shipyard right about this time last year. And I was traveling with a couple of guys and I'd been studying the weather for a while, kind of seeing what it is, you know, what, what it's going to be like. And we decided that we we're going to leave Kodiak and go straight across to Dixon entrance in Canada we were going to have single-digit wind right on the stern, just gently pushing us along. Right about the time we got there, you know, there's an island we can kind of duck behind for a minute. It was going to blow a little bit for half a day. We'd pop out and then have just gentle breeze blowing us down the coast of Oregon. So all three of us decided, let's shoot for that. And my uncle had told me, he said, shoot for the closest inside passage entrance you can get to. And if the weather's nice, stay outside and cruise down the beach. But if weather comes up, you can just duck inside you have 
you have options. You can hide, you can go anchor up, you could type in towns, you can get in channels where there's no weather, but if you just go straight across, if weather comes up, you're screwed. There's nothing you could do, there's nowhere you can go. Well, we didn't go for the closest one. We went for, you know, Dick's Interest. It's a ways down there. And uh, I've been studying the weather every day for a week, and I was like, it's not changing. This is this is going to be perfect. So we go, we take off. And uh, the one guy, he had left a few hours ahead of us, and I could see him on the radar. I could talk to him on the on the radio. And then my other buddy, Scott Hakama, he was running the Leslie Lee. We left at the same time, and I, I was in visual contact with him the whole way. Beautiful day. It was bright, sunny, warm outside, his flat. It was amazing. And then that afternoon, he goes, well, I think we're going to get some weather tomorrow. And I said, oh, it's going to be. He said, oh, it's going to blow 30. Call me back a little bit later. Oh, it's going to blow 40. Oh, it's going to blow 60. Well, now they're calling for like 65 or gust to 70. The next day, it started freaking howling. And we're in the middle of the Gulf. It was probably 35-foot seas. They were real close together. They were real sharp. And it was kind of confused. They were kind of coming from two different directions. And right where the swells meet from two different directions, they kind of jack up right where they meet. And sometimes you'll look at it and be like, you know, way off to the left or way off to the right, and you'll be like, wow, this, look at the size of that one, way over there, look at the size of that one, way over there. Every single one right where Jack did put me right in the anchor, and it, was, it wasn't it was the worst weather I've ever been in, but being the guy in charge and running the boat, I was pretty stressed out, I was pretty on edge. You can't call the Coast Guard for help, you're too far away. I had visual contact with Scott, but, you know, if something happened, he couldn't, it was too shitty for him to come. Couldn't even turn around. Yeah. He couldn't even turn around. He couldn't tow, hook onto us and tow us somewhere. You know, if we had to abandon ship, he couldn't come get the life raft. You know, it was, and we're like way out there. And all I could think the whole time was, man, if one little screw backs out of the main or if one little, one little spring in the main engine quits springing and I only have one main engine, if it dies, I'm fucked. And I wasn't scared, but I was just very on edge. I was very tentative. And, you know, we, we had to slow way down. We slowed down to like one and a half, two knots, because we're just hitting these things, and they were so close together, and they were so steep. We just got pounding and pounding and pounding in them. I didn't see my crew for like a day and a half. They were sick. They were laying in bed. So I sat, and I wasn't going to let them drive in that condition. And I was sitting up there on the throttle, you know, slow down, speed up, slow down, speed up, you know, getting water on the windows and just pounding, and I was just kind of tense and on edge. Well, Scott called me on the radio, and he goes, he's kind of a cowboy. Like, the shittier the weather, the more funny as You know, yeehaw, he's out there having a good time. <laughs> But I'm just like on edge, like not enjoying it. Because I used to love shitty weather when I was a kid. It was fun getting bounced around and thrown around, especially if you were just traveling and didn't have to work in it. It was a good time. This was not fun for me. I was just like, please be over, please be over, please be over. And so I'm just kind of stressed out. And he goes, hey, why don't you see if you can get a little closer to my boat and I'll try and take some pictures and videos. And, you know, we'll try try and get like a cool montage or something out of this. And instantly I like calmed down. Like I just felt like relaxed. And I was like, oh, we got some fun with this. So I cruised up to him, and I got real close to him, and not not dangerously close, but, you know, close enough where I felt comfortable, and he was taking some Danger pictures zone. and videos, and then I kind of, you know, passed him so I could get some videos of him from the front, and I kind of stuck that my phone outside to take some pictures, and I got douched by a big freaking wave. My phone died, so I didn't get hardly any pictures of him. The thing that sucks about my phone dying is I still have six days of traveling left. I just downloaded a whole bunch of music, a whole bunch of games, you know, movies, podcasts, so I could sit there as I'm looking out into nothing for six days and have something to do. Nope, phone died. Had to sit there in friggin' silence the whole time. It was awful. But it was fun, you know, having that little photo shoot moment. He got a video of, of our boat. I wish we would have started a little sooner, but, man, coming over this big wave and the boat just shoots out of the water and it comes crashing down and you can't even see it as it gets buried by swell. And, uh... 
he ended up posting and it kind of went viral it's got a couple hundred thousand views on there well when we uh when we post this you should tag that video into the link okay i'll do that yeah it was uh, it was just it was kind of cool you know because you never get to see yourself in a storm you know and especially whenever you take videos it's always from inside the boat or somebody else's boat but it was really cool to have a guy that close and that shitty weather taking a video it was it was, it was pretty yeah, cool. I haven't seen it. I'd like to see it. Yeah. So, we, you know, we cruised over. We got inside. And, you know, the rest of the trip was we got inside passage going through Canada. And then once we popped out, you know, it was great weather coming down the coast. But just that crossing, you know, just that, that like I said, it wasn't the worst weather. I wasn't scared, but I was just, I was very aware of how my equipment was operating. I was very aware of my surrounding and just very on edge and paying attention to any little sound, any little change in anything. And just the just the weight of you know this multi-million dollar operation and you know i got two guys downstairs on top of me that i got to keep alive and work and it was just a little stressful what about your best time at sea my best time at sea well besides cooking with your dad <laughs> oh my favorite time I, to date i would have to say it was this summer where i got i got to run the boat hake fishing I, d- I did the last half of our hake season uh fishing out of astoria and uh, i had my uncle come on the boat with me for a couple trips to kind of i called it my babysitter and i kind of you know just kind of show me the last couple things i didn't really know how to do and make sure that i could do it right and you know it's it's, it's kind of stressful I was, I was real nervous and i'd run the boat for a few trips before bottom fishing this wasn't my first time going out by myself fishing i'd done a few flat trips and a few rockfish trips in kodiak but uh, those trips were very, uh, there's nothing else going on. There's not a lot of fish out there. No one's really catching anything. Most boats are tied up. It's a good time if you want to go out and get some seat time and get some practice, setting and hauling the gear and kind of get a feel for it, you know, filling out the logbook, all this other stuff, and come back to town. You know, it's, there's really nothing out there. So if you could just bring the boat back and all the gear and people you left with in one piece, success. If you got some fish, that's just a bonus. So I got to do a couple of those, but... Now it's hake season, and this is this is midwater fishing. So setting and hauling a midwater net I'd never done before, and uh, and now it's not just a oh, go out and try it out. You know, coming back in, it was like, hey, got to fill the boat every trip as fast as you can, time and time again. You know, now, now there's pressure. Now it's like you got to do this in a timely order. You got to be full. You got to be effective. And so I was like, okay. So it felt like the first time. So I was like, you got to come out and do a couple of trips with me just to kind of, you know, the the one aspect of the job I'd never done was set and haul the gear from the wheelhouse on our boat the captain runs the hydraulics from the wheelhouse setting and hauling and i've been navigating up and down the river i've been driving around i've you know i found fish you know we go out and set the gear i come i do all the towing and stuff and uh but you know i always got to be on deck when we're setting hauling gear so that was the one thing that i'd never done so i was like show me some tips or tricks and you know kind of just make sure i could do it all right so he came out he did he did three trips with me and uh, after the third trip he goes he goes do you do you really still need me here can i go now and i was like I must have had a nervous look on my face because he, he said, you know what? He said, your first trip without me, you're going to have the heebie-jeebies. He said, it doesn't matter if it's right now or if I do 25 more trips with you. Your first time going out, you're going to have them. And I said, well, based off of what you've seen so far, and he hadn't done anything. He kind of gave me a few, you know, tips here and there. And, but he didn't, like, jump in or have to take over or do anything. And I said, based off of what you've seen so far, do you feel comfortable letting me take out your boat to go do this? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. You know in my family, we don't give compliments. We don't give attaboys. We don't give pats on the back. We just kind of, this is not how we really operate. And uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, I got a, I got a literal physical pat on the back. And he actually said the words, you're doing a really good job. I was in disbelief. I wasn't even sure I heard him right. 
But uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, you haven't done anything that I wouldn't do. You've done everything. You know, I might do this a little bit different, but it's just a matter of preference, not a matter of, you know, safety or whatever. And uh, he goes, yeah. He said, the only thing I could see that you need to work on is is getting a little bit better and a little more, you know, kind of fine-tuning setting and holding, you know, winding the net on and level winding it as you steer and wind it and, you know, dumping the bag. You know, I have to, I have to run the throttle. I have to steer the boat. I have to run multiple hydraulic levers. I've only got two hands, and I've never had to do it. So I'm trying to kind of figure out this whole process. And he said, the only thing you need to do is get better at that. He said, you're doing a good job at it. The only way to get better is to keep doing it. And he said, you've progressively got better every single tow that we've done. You're doing fine. Just go do it. So I was like, Okay, so that was kind of a proud moment when he was like, gave me permission to go. So we went out and did it. And just really that whole entire season, I can't remember how many trips it was. It was, you know, quite a few. But uh, getting to go out, you know, there was some there was some amazing times where it's it's a day. Hake is a daytime fishery. You don't fish it at night. You kind of wait till daylight. So we get out there. There's six, eight, ten, twelve boats in an area. And four, four thirty in the morning. The sun starts coming up. We all start driving around looking for fish and pretty soon this guy sets and then pretty soon the other guy sets his net and then you know these guys and pretty soon everyone's got their net in the water and they're all towing and I'm not and I'm the only one not towing I go man you know I feel like an idiot I'm the youngest guy here I'm the newest guy here and I'm the only one not towing I I feel kind of stupid but I got lots of electronics and I got a million dollars in computers and equipment on here that tell me what's going on and I was like I don't see fuck all on here like I don't know what these guys are doing but I felt stupid by not towing but if I was I would feel stupid and uh, so I'm driving around, and finally I find some fish, and I'm the last one to set my gear. Set the gear and hit hit a few big wads. I'm the first one to haul back. I fill up first, haul back, head to town. I was like, that feels freaking... <laughs> and it's not that I... You know, there's some big heavy hitters out there, some legends that have been doing this for a long time, and it's not that I'm better than them by any stretch. I just happen to be the Everyone lucky guy who found that, you know, wad of fish and hit it first, and but it still felt good, especially when I was the last one to set and the first one to haul back and head to town. That felt pretty good. There's a few days where, you know, I was the first one. I found the fish. I set out on it. Everyone else is driving around. I'm towing. And, well, now I can't find them. And they're gone. It's, well, shoot, do I turn left? Do I turn right? Do I go shallower or deeper? You know, which way? Do I, where'd they go? And and then everybody else sets. And then, you know, they set. They fill up. They head to town. And I'm I'm left out there all by myself. I'm like, what the heck is this? So they had those days for sure. It's fishing. But it's fishing. That's just how it was. One, the, I think it was my second trip that I did without any adult supervision. I, uh... Me, me and one guy, we kind of, there wasn't a whole lot of fish around. It was just kind of a slow part of the, just a little bump in the road. You know, no one was really finding fish anywhere. We left, uh, we had a game plan. Me and, me and Joe on the Chalissa. We're going to head out the river, the Columbia River, out of Astoria. Head north up to Washington where we had been seeing fish and go up to one area and look around. If we didn't see anything, we we're going to kind of in formation, you know, zigzag down the coast and work together and try and find some fish. And a couple spots here and there, we found a little bit of fish. We made some toes and, and, uh. You know, got some fish. I, I had 150,000 pounds, which is half a boatload for me. We packed 300. And then uh, that fish disappeared, so we kept going and finding stuff. And eventually, you know, the whole fleet kind of got together, and they were all going to go to one area and look that hadn't been looked over in a while. And I was like, man, you know, I only got half a boatload, but I really want to go. But my fish is getting old, and, you know, it's going to take me 18 or 20 hours to get home, and I, I got to get this shit to the dock. And I felt bad. I was defeated. I was depressed. I was upset. Man, I can't can't go to town with half a boatload especially on my second trip doing this you know and i was dreading calling my uncle and so i finally did and i said man you know i'm headed in and he goes oh that's you know kind of a long trip but did you fill up and i said no i'm only half full and as well you know it's you know it happens you know you can't always fill up every time i was like i know i'm just you know i'm defeated i'm depressed i'm upset i'm irritated and he goes 
well, getting upset isn't going to fill the boat. And I was like, I know, I know, but it's just, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I think you could tell I felt kind of bad about it. And he goes, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been coming in, defeated, upset, half full. And on the way in, you know, fourth quarter, Hail Mary, right before dark, you find a little bit of fish and you fill up right at the last minute and save the trip. And now you're the hero. And I go, yeah, yeah, you know, I've, I've seen that happen on deck and I've heard stories and stuff, but uh, I don't know. I was still not feeling good. Well, sure enough zigging and zagging not giving up right at dark you know found just a little bit of fish and i was like that's eh, not very much but i thought you know what i got nothing but time to kill and space to fill so let's let's set her out so we set out and i towed on it just started hitting the net and i was blowing up into the net 15 minutes bam i got my half half bag egg 75,000 pounds holy crap 15 minutes later boom the top catch indicator goes off full bag 150,000 pounds 30 minutes i was like no shit i was all jacked up and hauled back and sure enough it was full bag you know filled the boat up and right at the last minute right at dark headed into town i was so excited to call him up like guess what happened you won't believe it we're awesome. full headed into town awesome it was it was pretty cool but just have like my first big you know multi-trip season where you know i had to produce and you know i proved myself that i could do it and and you know i think i made a lot of people proud myself mostly included but. normally about here i'd ask uh, uh what your suggestion is for younger guys coming into the industry but I think that yours is a little more legacy. Yeah. Yours has been four, four generations. Yeah. And I think that you have uh, more pride in the history of it. I do have a lot of pride in the history of it. Yeah. Um, Any kids yourself? Nope. Not yet. Hopefully someday. You know, I'd, because I love the family aspect of it so much, and I really am kind of the last one in our line to be doing it. I have a crap ton of cousins, and almost all of them are girls. They have no interest. They'd rather, you know, be shoppers or, you know, work in coffee, whatever they want to do. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I would really like to have kids that I could bring on and, and uh, you know, being on the boat, whether it was working on the boat or whether it was working in shipyard or working in the gear shed, you know, building gear, fixing gear, you know, building black cod pots or, you know, whatever it was, just being involved in the industry doing it with my dad when I was younger, with my uncle and my grandpa, you know, whoever it was, just being around it was awesome. And that's something I'd really like to have, you know, be able to pass on to a younger generation and get generation number five going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you want to finish this? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so you said something about advice for younger people wanting to get involved in the industry. And I've, I've heard you ask that before. And uh, I've actually thought about it and... I feel like a great way, because I've had a lot of friends ask me, acquaintances, friends, you know, hey, how do I get involved in something like this? And the first thing I say is try to be born into a family that's already doing it. And uh, they don't really think it's funny. I do. Whatever. But I, I, I always tell them, I say, <clears throat> great way to go is there's a lot of uh, net shops around. There's a lot of gear shops around. Um, you always need a guy. You're, you're tearing up your gear. You're breaking your gear. I worked after high school. I did work for a while at um, a net shop in Newport called Foulweather Trawl with Sarah. Oh, yeah. Um, Everybody knows Sarah. Everybody knows Sarah. I loved working with her. It was a lot of fun. She was very knowledgeable. She was very patient in teaching people how to do so. She has a great crew that is very patient and willing to teach people. Even boats up here get there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh. Absolutely. So uh, my advice would be go get in a net shop. You know, there's Lummy up here. There's, you know, Swans up here. You know, Foulweather Trawl down in Newport. Lummy because, up in Bellingham. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. There's 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 a few of them around. So if you if you could learn how to work on the gear, that makes guys trying to hire greenhorns who've never you know they've never been fishing, but man, they know how to sew, they know they how know to how fix midwater yeah. bars, tie bendles, yeah. you know, they know how to do all stuff. That helps. The other thing I say is find a boat that's in shipyard. Every boat always needs extra hands when you're in shipyard. It's a great time to learn how to work on things on the boat. It's a great way to learn the boat, learn where stuff is. You know, when you're out fishing and shit hits the fan, something breaks, they say, hey, I need you to grab this. You know right where it's at because you've just been putting it away for the last three months. And then if that guy that you're working for on the boat doesn't have a spot for you, they net, they network, they talk. Guys say, hey, I'm, you know, I just lost a guy. You go, man, I got a really great guy. He's been working in the shipyard for three months. He's been working hard, you know, so find a boat that's in shipyard see if you could help them out even if it's for free it will pay off in the long run but it's a great way to learn the boat where things are how to work on them work in a net shop you know or even just having other skills like if you're a welder if you could learn how to weld or be an electrician being a carpenter being an electronics computer guy because we have to do all that stuff ourselves out there we can't just call the carpenter we can't call the welder out there we can't call the map tech guy to come out and you know fix the computer or whatever. we have to do all that ourselves so any little thing like that that you can learn but for me it's gear work and in shipyard work it's a great place to start learn things and just goes from there mm-hmm. all right thanks for coming out today Bo yeah had you a have a good time I had a great time all right guys <clears throat> been another installment of galley stories and uh, we'll see you next time thanks for listening in make sure you like and share oh I like that <laughs> it's a little bonus bump we'll see you guys later Thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Whether you like it or not, we're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too. And reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.